Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Let me tell you something that God has done for us this week before we get into the word this morning. How many of you remember we announced that we had a new mobile field kitchen that we're going to use for disasters, right? Well, this week we received a brand new used box truck to pull it with and we didn't spend one dime on it. And so I want you to give the Lord thanks for that. It's going to be huge for us as, uh, as we are able to supply the kitchen. So we're excited about that. We began a new series last week called Altered. Uh, for many of you, you have got a long uh, experience in church, and when you start thinking about an altar, you start thinking about a padded little place down in front where you could pray, or maybe some of you have been in church long enough, you even remember, do, did anybody remember this when you got into these seats where there were these rails that folded down and you kneeled on the, the little rail in front of you, remember that? Uh, maybe for some of you, the, the memories of altars are like the ones I had. I remember kneeling at an altar, placing my forehead on the altar, and then when I tried to get up, I couldn't because my forehead was stuck to the shellacked wood. Anybody remember? Yeah, some of y'all are too young to remember that. Uh, altars that became display for plastic flowers and crocheted tissue boxes and all kinds of junk. They just became the depository for all kinds of stuff. But, but what we learned last week is that the altar was not our idea. The, the, the concept of an altar was literally birthed and rooted in the heart of God. From the very earliest moments in Scripture, we begin to talk about the fact that altars were God's idea because God meets man at an altar. Uh, you need to remember that. If you weren't here last week, you've got to get that in your spirit to understand that the altar time, the, the, the time we spend in the presence of God was not even our idea. It was God's idea. That's why in Genesis, when Cain and Abel come on the scene, the Bible doesn't even say the word altar, but you can logically come to the conclusion that there was an altar because they bring a sacrifice. And how many of you know you just don't throw a sacrifice up in the air and hope God catches it? There was an altar involved. And, and so there's this altar experience, this altar encounter, and it comes from the heart of God. In fact, I told you that the altar is mentioned 370 different and distinct times Throughout scripture, it is a principle. God meets man at the altar. And so I took you into Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You can quote those verses of scripture where Paul says to us, I beseech you or I urge you or I beg you, I plead with you, brothers, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's the concept of an altar. And I said to you that Paul was literally saying to us that we've got to come to the place where we live an altered lifestyle. An altar is not just what you experience on Sunday morning in a building somewhere. It is a minute by minute, second by second, moment by moment, opportunity for you to lay your life down down and say, God, I'm yours. Every thought, every response, every addiction, every habit, every reaction, everything that goes through my mind, everything that I do with my body, I lay it down and say, God, I'm yours. That's what Paul is saying. Live an altered lifestyle. Because Paul goes on and he teaches us that if you fail to live an altered lifestyle, you will become cultured. 
Some of us are way too cultured. We look like we look more like our culture than we look like our king. We 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 go where our culture goes. We behave like our culture behaves. We think like our culture thinks, and and then we wonder why we don't look anything like Jesus. Paul says, if you learn to live an altered lifestyle, you won't become cultured. Your mind will be renewed. Your spirit will be renewed, and you won't think like our culture thinks anymore. And so that's what we learned last week. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to remind you that altars took place very early in scripture we referenced Cain and Abel that's the first altar experience what I want to do today is take you into the second altar experience recorded in scripture it is in fact one of the most familiar and favorite accounts found in scripture it's found in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7 and Genesis chapter 8, and I don't have time to read all those chapters to you, so I'm just going to read some highlights. You know the story. It's Genesis chapter 6, beginning of verse 5, where it says this, God saw that human evil was out of control, and people thought evil, and they imagined evil, 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 from morning to night. And God was sorry that he made the human race in the first place. It broke his heart. So God said, I'll get rid of my ruined creation. I'll make a clean sweep. People, animals, snakes, thank you, Jesus, and, and bugs, thank you, Jesus. And I like my birds, but, 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 but the works. And he says, I, I'm sorry I made them, but Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. One version says it like this, and Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Then in verse 13, God said to Noah, it's all over. It's the end of the human race. The violence is everywhere. I'm making a clean sweep, Genesis 6, verse 17. I'm going to bring a flood on the earth that will destroy everything alive under heaven. Total destruction. Genesis chapter 7, beginning of verse 17. The flood continued 40 days, and the waters rose and lifted the ship high over the earth. And the waters kept rising, and the flood deepened on the earth, and the ship floated on the surface. And the flood got worse until all the highest mountains were covered. The high water mark reached 20 feet above the crest of the mountains. Everything died. Anything that moved, dead. Birds, farm animals, wild animals, the entire teeming exuberance of life, dead. And all people, dead. Every living, breathing creature that lived on dry land died. He wiped out the whole works, people and animals, crawling creatures and flying birds, every last one of them gone. Only Noah and his company on the ship lived. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Noah built an altar. Noah built an altar. Noah built an altar to God. And he selected clean animals and birds from every species and offered them as burnt offerings on the altar. See, the, the, the Noah account, it's, it's the two-by-two two it's the, uh, it's the Evan Almighty version. Uh, it, it has become, if it, if it is not the, it is one of the most favorite Bible accounts for our children. We tell it to our children, two by two, two by two. And what happens is we've so cartoonized that and, and sanitized this account that in our nurseries, we let our nursery decorations be animals and rainbows and arcs. In fact, uh, my oldest son, he doesn't know this, but when he was born, his nursery was Noah's Ark. Some of y'all got it too. I know you got it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think maybe that what we've done is we've done this account a disservice because I want you to understand this morning that the account of Noah was not, it was not a kid's tale. 
Do you recognize this morning that the account of Noah gathering animals and the account of a flood descending on the earth was not and is not a kid's tale. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that if we were going to do the movie correctly, I know we've made it funny and I know we've made it acceptable, but I need you to understand this morning. I submit to you that if we were going to do the correct version of the Noah's Ark story, it would be rated R because it was gruesome. You've got to understand that, that Noah had a ringside seat to watch the total and the complete destruction of every living thing. What that means then is that he hears the shriek of panic and the shrieks of pain in people that he loved that didn't make it on the boat. That means that he's on the boat as the rain begins and the waters begin to rise and he watches people that he had relationship with, the neighbors that he had gone to to borrow sugar for his coffee. He watches them die. It, it's Noah standing on the boat watching as families that had children that played baseball with his children. He watches them he watches family pets float by dead. He watches and as people that, that would not listen to the warning. He watches them. This, this is not a cartoon experience. He listens to the terror-filled cries. And he couldn't ignore them. I need you to understand that this would be a thousand times worse than the last scene of Titanic when the waters were filled with thousands of bodies. This was not a fairy tale story. This is a gruesome, complete and total annihilation and destruction of everything that was alive. Uh, maybe, maybe I should say it like this. This makes the regionalized destruction that we have witnessed in tornadoes look like paradise. And yet, at the moment the waters evade, and as the moment that the ground becomes dry, and at the moment that he can walk out on dry, dry ground, the Bible says that after witnessing this kind of destruction, and this kind of annihilation, and this much pain, and this much agony, the Bible says that when Noah walks out of the boat, the first thing he does before he makes any request for his own needs, before he worries about building his own house, before he makes any pleas of God, help me, help me, help me, the first thing he does is he builds an altar and remembers God's faithfulness. And in that moment, what happens is Noah teaches us a couple lessons. He teaches us that we must establish altars of remembrance in every season of our life. And, hear me carefully this morning, and many times we must establish an altar of remembrance in spite of what we are going through or what we have gone through. I declare to you that most of us need to get back to an altar not to make requests, but to remember. 
I think we need to spend some time in altars remembering God's protection and remembering God's provision and remembering God's keeping hand that is upon our life. I know that some of you have long lists of wants and I know that some of you have long lists of needs. And I recognize this morning that some of you at this very moment have a ringside seat to watch the total the annihilation and destruction of everything that you thought your life was going to be or what you thought your life could be. And I recognize that some of you are living right through the most painful moment of life and it's the harshest storm you've ever faced. But what I would say to you is I know it's tempting to come to an altar and spend your time at an altar requiring and saying, God, I need assistance and requesting help and saying, God, this is what I need. And God, you got to come through. And God, I got to have some provision. And God, I got to have some hope. But what I want to declare to you today is that God, if he never did another thing in your little old life as as bad as I need God to come through right now if God never did anything else I can stand up here this morning and make my way to an altar and still remember that if it wasn't for God on my side where would I be I can stop long enough to remember that in the midst of my midnight hour and in the midst of my pain and in the midst of my agony and in the midst of what I'm watching all hell breaking roofs around me and things falling apart and dreams going to pot I can still stop long enough and quit making requests and say, God, I'm thankful for what you've already done. See, the hope I've got for you this morning is this. God has brought and will bring you through. In the midst of your storm, you need to stop and reflect on what God has already done. See, many of us have tasted favor. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, I read it to you, that, that Noah had found favor in God's eyes. And many of us have tasted favor. But my question, how many of you like favor? I like some favor now. Favor ain't fair. I like me some favor. I like it when I'm blessed and nobody else is being. I, I mean, I want you blessed and all. But there are moments in my life where I just have to back up and go, that wasn't fair, but I kind of like it. I wouldn't say they were more qualified, but I got the raise, and I like it. And they were more qualified, and I got the job. I, I like me some favor. But how many of us that like favor ever stop long enough to thank God for the favor? See, we've turned the altar experience into a complaint department or a request line. I am... I am convinced that for most of us, if we're not careful, the altar more closely resembles the Santa line at the mall. What has happened now is we come to services or we go into our prayer time and it's like we've just arrived at the mall and we jump in the Santa line and when it's our turn, we run and jump up in the lap of God and we treat him like Santa. We provide for him the list of our needs and we list them all out and we repeat them several times because we want to make sure he's got it just like we want it. And then what we do is we hop off his lap and we exit stage right and we stand in the wings to watch to make sure whether Santa God comes through like we told him to come through. What Noah teaches us is that we have a responsibility to blow Santa's mind. 
Because what I want to submit to you this morning is after you watch a flood go through your life and destroy everything and relationships fall apart and everything goes wrong that can go wrong, it blows God's mind when you step up, get up in his lap, and begin to remind him of what he's done rather than asking for anything. I think we need to crawl up in God's lap and not make any requests and don't say, give me, give me, give me, give me. And instead, he'd say, God, you see what I'm going through, but I didn't stop up here in this little altar moment to ask you for one thing. No, I am here to tell you that I am just want you to know that I'm just thankful for what you've already done. Why? Why is it important to remember? Because without an altar, our memory becomes selective. I'm convinced that if you don't spend time at an altar of remembrance, what you begin to do is your memory begins to play tricks on you. And if you're not careful, you will become become bitter because all of a sudden you begin to remember when God didn't come through like you wanted him to come through. Oh, now don't get me wrong. It's not that he didn't come through. He just didn't come through like you demanded that he came through. Uh, Come on now. Y'all ought to know better than that. Even country singers know that God, I mean, thank God for some unanswered prayers, but we get bitter. See, y'all haven't been to your high school reunion lately, have you? I'm thankful for some unanswered prayers. Thank you, Jesus. But without an altar of remembrance, what we do is we begin to tell God, you didn't do it like I told you to do it. I asked for an apple, and instead you got me an orange, and now I'm not thankful. Let Let me see if I can help you. I asked you for a Mercedes. And I got a Nissan. Now, here's the question. Does the Nissan run faithfully and does it get you from point A to Z with no problems and it's not in the shop and it doesn't cost you $300 to get your oil changed? But I wanted a... I wanted him and you gave me him? I asked you for her and you gave me her? I wanted that job, but you don't know that if he'd given you that job, you would be pulling your hair out and you'd be hating everybody and you'd probably kill your wife and your kids because you're so stressed out. So instead he gives you this job, but because you haven't spent any time lately at an altar of remembrance, now you're just bitter because your memory is selective. I ain't going to get no help up in here. An altar calls us to reflect on the faithfulness of God. The truth is this morning is that we're no different than the children of Israel. How many times did God obviously and spectacularly set them free? Over and over and over again he comes through. And yet Moses comes on the scene and constantly has to try to help them remember. In fact, you know this, I've told you this dozens of times, in Deuteronomy alone, on 18 different and specific occasions, Moses says, remember, 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 come on y'all, remember, 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 because Moses recognized that if you're not careful and you don't spend time at an altar of remembrance, what will happen is we begin to turn from being conquerors to complainers. And we are no longer resembling warriors, we resemble whiners. That sounds like us. We have come through so much, but if we are not careful to stop and visit an altar, not out of need, 
but to visit an altar out of remembrance to the place that we come to where we come with a grateful attitude and a grateful heart and we recognize that God has done already done so much more than we ever deserved then we'll begin to whine about what he hasn't done David uh, constantly reflects on what God had done interesting thing to me when David stops and remembers what God has done, then, then God continues to do. Selah. Word. Think about that a moment. David constantly thanked God for what he was doing. And so therefore, God continued to do. Y'all miss that. That's why Darius Daniel says it like this. He said, there are two words that are magnets for favor. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you in. Here's David's secret. When David would thank God for what he did, God would continue to do. And Darius Daniel says it like this. There are two words that are magnets for God's favor. You know what they are? Thank you. Let me prove it to you. Psalm chapter 77, verses 11, 12. I want this to get in your spirit. Listen to what David says. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. I will. I make a covenant with myself that when my life is going wrong, I will remember what you've already done. Uh, when my, my relationship is about to fall apart, I will back off and get out of the mix and say, I will meditate on the fact that you put us together. When, when my kids are acting crazy, I want to back up and say, I will remember that you're faithful and I train them up in the way that they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. I will remember that when I'm sick, you made me well. I will. We've got to make a covenant with ourselves and a covenant with God that we will make a conscious decision to remember. Come on, I want you to say it like you, re like you really meant it. I want you to say, I will remember on the count of three don't you say it like some little pansy I want you to say it like you're going to remember it in the hard times it's easy to remember it in the good times I want it to get down in your spirit when you wreck your car when you kill your dog when you want to kill your kids I want you to get it down in your spirit when everything goes to hell in a handbasket you will say I will remember come on I need you to say it like you come on one two three I will remember I think you might just have it I will remember. I, I, I think that what happens is, is that as we remember and give thanks that we become altered in our perspective and we become positioned for greater reception. That's why we all need a nobody but God spot that we visit every day. I, I, I wish I had come up with this. I didn't. I heard it in general conference. B Bishop Kenneth Ulmer reflected on Joshua chapter 4 and Joshua chapter 5 and in that passage what happens is the children of Israel are finally after all this wandering in the wilderness they're about to possess the promised land and they're crossing over the flooded river and Joshua instructs them that as you're going through lean down and pick up 12 stones and when you come out on the other side 
what I want you to do as we enter the first city, Gilgal, I want you to take those 12 stones and build a memorial. In the Old Testament, memorial, memory, means to remember. Almost always when an altar is being constructed, and a lot of times it's called memorial, he says to them, construct a memorial, build an altar, so that now what happened in, in the account in Joshua 4 and 5, as they would go into battle, into the promised land, to kill giants and to take cities, every day at the end of the battle, they would turn and march back to Gilgal and waiting on them there was an altar of remembrance so that they could look at that memorial and they could say nobody but God got me here nobody but God got me out nobody but God got me across nobody but God saw me through then they would go out and fight another battle and at the end of the day they would march back to the memorial and say nobody but God did this see I came to tell some of you that you wouldn't be possessing your promise you wouldn't have the husband you got you wouldn't have the wife you got you wouldn't have the kids you've got. You wouldn't have the job you've got. You wouldn't have the car you've got. You wouldn't have the house you've got. You wouldn't have the peace that you've got. You wouldn't have the joy that you've got if it wasn't for God. I know you think you got yourself here, but if it wasn't for God, I'm concerned. I think we've got to go back to the altar and express gratitude because I'm convinced that many of us are only one crisis away from leaving God. Oh, God didn't come through this time. I throw in the towel. The reason we do that is because we fail to reflect on the fact that year after year, decade after decade, He has come through, come through, come through. But we face one bad day and we want to throw in the towel. See, I'm convinced of this today. I, 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 need, I just believe that we struggle with today because we fail to pause and remember yesterday. I, I, I'm done. I, 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 just, I want you to stop for just a moment. And I want you to evaluate your prayer life. I can't do that for you. you got to do it for yourself. I want you to stop and reflect on what your prayer life is like. Because I, I know we're told to boldly approach the throne of grace and make our supplications known. We'll get, known. We'll get there. But, but, but my question this morning is this. How much of our prayer life is spent asking for blessings rather than remembering blessings? Uh, we used to sing it name your blessings count them one by one we don't count squat we just want more how many of us in our prayer life how much of our time is spent for spent asking for healing rather than saying thank you for the fact that in the past he's already healed us how much of our prayer time is spent asking for provision rather than saying thank you for the fact that he's already more than lived up to his name Jehovah Jireh. You think you got it bad now and you can't pay your bills now. Where would you be if it wasn't for him? See, an altar is a place of remembrance where we stop in the midst of our need and we stop in the midst of the craziness that surrounds our life, and we stop in the midst of our, 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 our nuts relationships and our, and our goofy experiences, and we stop and we reflect and we recall and we think on what God has already done. It's like, like, like the songwriter of our day that said it like this, when I think about the Lord, if we, that, that's our problem. We don't think about the Lord. We think about us. When I think about the Lord, the fact that he saved me, that he filled me, 
that he healed me to the uttermost. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. When he, he turned my entire life around, set my feet on solid ground, I can't help it. My bad day ends right there because I reflect and I remember. So I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to spend some time in the altar. We've got a baby dedication. What a better time to do a baby dedication than a time of remembrance. We're going to do that. But this is how it's going to work. I want to challenge you this morning to spend some time in the altar. This is going to be hard for some of you. And make absolutely no requests. None. No needs. Don't, don't even mention your needs. I know you got them. We all do. Don't mention them. I, 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 no wants. No, no desperate cries for intervention. None of that. This is what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to spend your prayer time this morning listing accomplishments. Because what I want you to do is I want you to remind God as you remind yourself of what God has already done. And when you have listed everything that you can possibly think of to be thankful for, think of some more. Because the truth is, is that many of us have been so long away from the altar of remembrance that we don't even remember some of the good stuff that God has done for us. And then two instructions. As that happens, I believe what's going to take place is a heart of gratitude is going to come over you. And I want you to embrace that heart of gratitude because God blesses grateful people. And as you stop at that nobody but God moment, I, this happened to me in the first service. I had no plans to do this. As I was thinking of what God had done for me, he brought to my remembrance how he had used certain people to accomplish those things. And I had to pick up my phone. Now, this is all brand new. We didn't do this in first service because this was just a revelation. I had to pick up my phone during my prayer time and text somebody and tell them, thank you for what you did for my family. And so your instructions are simple. No requests, no needs accomplishments and if God brings somebody to your remembrance they may be in the room then you are released to go and speak to them and tell them thank you maybe they're not maybe you need to pick up the phone and text them and then when it's all said and done and you've had adequate time and you feel like you've listed it all out for God then we have communion up here on each side you will serve yourself because if you don't have anything to thank God for this morning can I submit to you that represented here is the greatest gift if he had never healed me, if he had never set me on a different path, if he had never come through with anything in my life, the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die for me is enough. That ought to produce a grateful heart in me, if nothing else. And so I'm going to give you time to pray, and then I'm going to kind of monitor it, and we're going to give you time to serve you. You just, at your own leisure, when you've thought, got to a place of gratitude with God, you go serve yourself communion. And then if you need to leave, you can leave. Or you can stick around right at the end here in just a few minutes and we'll do a baby dedication and we'll corporately say, thank you, God, for blessing us with children. Father, this morning I pray that this congregation would be a thankful congregation. I pray that we would not be selfish. I pray that, Father, instead this body would be marked with a spirit of gratitude and we would learn to say thank you on a regular daily basis. God, I pray that even now, as is our habit, many of us are going to struggle to come to the altar right now and not start our prayers with needs. And in fact, 
I'll say it like this, Father, many of us will struggle to come to the altar this morning and not complain and not whine. But, Father, this morning I pray that you would change our perspective and you would begin to remind us of what you've already done. I pray in Jesus' name a spirit of thankfulness, a magnet for favor. I pray that our hearts would be full of gratitude and we would grab onto the fact that even if we're in the middle of a storm, even if we've just witnessed the worst destructive moment of our life, you're still faithful and you can still bring us through and you have power to and we have reason to worship. So Father, I pray that you would accomplish that today in our giving place, our praise, in Jesus' name. You're released this morning to spend some time thanking the Lord for what he's done. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.